0: They'll never win. They can't win. Yeah, this, my friends, is going to be the grand finale to a week of myth-busting regarding your favorite baseball franchise. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Penguins that I hope you can check out. Tonight marks the opening of the World Series. Remember the World Series? (laughs) Remember the last time that you seriously entertained that the Pirates could participate in the World Series? For a lot of people, that wasn't even 2013 when the Pirates, of course, beat Johnny Cueto and the Reds. Because they'd have to get through St. Louis, and they didn't get through St. Louis. And everybody kind of knew they wouldn't get through St. Louis because St. Louis couple more years go by, a couple more one-and-dones, even to the extreme that the 98-win edition of the Pirates in 2015, which might have been, on some metric level, the best team in baseball, there was barely any sense around town that, yeah, they could do it. Yeah, this is the one. It just didn't happen. It didn't happen, and it sure hasn't happened since then. If anything, it could be argued that the Pirates feel farther away from a sixth championship than ever. Not just because of the back-to-back 100 lost seasons, not just because it's been three years of the new management, and now I know for a fact there's going to be a fourth punt year. And not even just because it's been the same GM and the same manager and now you're starting to get a lot of the same feel that you did with the previous group. I think it's almost as much about the system. I think it's almost as much about watching the Yankees and the Dodgers and all these other teams that spend a zillion dollars getting where they get in the regular season standings and having multiple cracks At getting to the World Series. See, this is one of the great misnomers, and it's going to happen again this year. I promise you, if it hasn't already, somewhere where people are going to point to the Phillies uh, who haven't won in forever. They're going to point even to the Astros to a degree and say they're not one of the teams that's way, way, way up there in spending. And say, look at this, the system is still so even and so fair. It isn't at all, because what every team covets in the regular season, what every management group covets in the regular season is just to get in. That's it. They feel, these executives and so forth and GMs, that. The postseason is a crapshoot, and they've got a lot of reason to feel that way. If you remember back, and this is going back 20 years, but the Diamondbacks that had Randy Johnson and Curt Schilling, that was maybe the last time I can recall a team entering the postseason that was just so loaded at one spot that they couldn't be touched, probably up until this Houston team, where they just don't give up anything. But do you know how hard it is to build a team like that? It's so, so rare, even if you're the Dodgers and you're up at 300 million in spending, and now the Mets and the Yankees, other teams are up in that range. But it does give you more opportunities, it gives you more rolls of the dice. And around here, we don't even see that. It's a ton of fun. It's a great meal and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. But the question, the overarching question related to this franchise, in addition to whether or not Bob Nutting's ever going to sell, is can there ever be another championship? If you set aside the nutting factor, you come up with the answer a lot more easily because you can look around baseball and you can say, all right, here, uh, there are teams that have not spent all that much that have gotten in multiple times. Market size doesn't have to be any kind of mitigating factor because uh, St. Petersburg, Florida is not at all a big market and they get hardly any ticket revenue and they get hardly any local TV revenue. They do just fine. The Rays do because of their approach. The Brewers are based in Milwaukee, which is two-thirds the size of Pittsburgh, and they do just fine. Cleveland is probably the most crystal example that we have in front of us at the moment because Cleveland and Pittsburgh are sister cities in more ways than one. Only Pittsburgh is a bigger city. So could the Pirates do it, you know, with another owner? Yeah, it's possible. Could they do it with this one? Uh, Again, I'll point back to those three seasons and say that it was right there. It was right there. You had three cracks at it. You were in the tournament three times. In the first of those occasions, you got through a round. And that, by the way, is a round. The wild card one and done is an official round per Major League Baseball. You got through it. Just needed to get a couple more. Hardly unthinkable, hardly something that was some fantasy land exercise. And Bob Nutting was the principal owner. So, what's the difference now? The difference now, I believe, and what knocks people's faith through the floor around here is that he's been around a long time and we've seen way more bad than we have good. And we've seen through that way more bad than good that there's just not much urgency, if any. And worse than that, nutting hires people who have a similar passive approach to things, maybe even in life. There's not that sense that we got to go, we got to get this done, we got to... No, everything is just, let's see if it happens. If it happens, awesome, right? Right? So I have people occasionally bite back at me. How, how can you say things like that these guys don't want to win? How, how is that okay? Aren't you assaulting their character or whatever? No, I'm going by what's right in front of me. I believe that they'd be happy if they won. So to that extent, you can say, sure, they want to win. I was in the clubhouse in Atlanta when the Pirates clinched a playoff berth. And those of you who remember the videos that came out of there, including the handful that I shot while I was in there, and everybody's jumping up and down and dousing everyone with uh, champagne, and Clint Hurdle's in there with goggles on, and Kutch has the big cigar and all that other stuff. The happiest guy in the room, I can tell you this unequivocally the happiest guy in the room was Neil Huntington. Why? Wanted to win. Wanted to win. Wasn't aggressive about his approach to it. But now that it had happened, he was very, very happy about it. You know who else was really, really happy about it? And I mean, genuinely ecstatic was nutting. He really was. It happened. and Then he was happy. But there's a big difference between that and pushing for it and suffering through the times that you don't win. That's what has me concerned here. But is it possible? Is it plausible? Of course it is. Of course it is. Is it unlikely? I'll leave that for a less optimistic episode. When we come back, J1Q... Q comes from Dan and it's a little longer than the norm but I, I, I recommend hearing him out it's it's pretty good stuff he says just listening now to John Kruk on a podcast when he was asked what turned the Phillies around this season he talked about hitting coach Kevin Long and his emphasis on being aggressive at the plate he said that the Phil- Philadelphia approach previously had always been taking first strikes or second strikes, and it was putting hitters into impossible situations now. Pitchers are just too good now, Krux said. You might as well just walk back to the dugout once you fall behind because you're done. And not only that, he said, the approach was incredibly boring to watch. Krux's arguments parallel your sentiments, DK, most of this past summer as the Pirates were in the midst of their run to another 100-loss season. And a historically bad offense. Along those lines, can you explain why batting averages are now considered an outdated metric? I admit I haven't watched baseball or paid attention enough over the last twenty or so years to understand that or to grasp it. Dan, there's a lot there to unpack, and and I appreciate the thought that you put into this, and to try to give it something worthwhile back. I'm going to begin with I just passionately agree that the Pirates' approach was embarrassingly passive in 2022. And some of that, of course, had to do with Andy Haynes, the way-in-over-his-head hitting coach that they've hired who's helped absolutely no one in that clubhouse. But that's that's not the whole thing. When Ben Charrington picked up Daniel Vogelback, very late in the spring training. Remember, it was just with a couple of days to go. It was pretty much assumed he'd be the guy who'd kind of work in there with Yoshitsugo and maybe be some combination first baseman slash DH. Of course, he ended up being almost exclusively a DH. Vogel became a very, very popular figure in that clubhouse. Uh, not just because, as soon as I say that, you're probably thinking to yourself, "Oh, here's the here's the big guy going around. Looks like he's a beer leaguer. Probably a lot of a lot of fun and everything else." And he is all those things, but that's not what made him what he was in there. Rather, it was how much hitters came to him and talked about hitting and vogie's approach. And this was well before he came to the Pirates, although he too swung a bat under Haynes in Milwaukee, was always just see as many pitches as you possibly can. His discipline, his awareness of the strike zone, uh, his awareness of whether or not an off-speed pitch was going to find a way to land in the zone, was through the roof. He leads baseball over the last two years in pitches seen per plate appearance. An amazing stat but that's what he does and if if you have that gift and you can you can stay back and hold that bat still and wait for your pitch and wait for that pitch not just to come into the zone but to come into your part of the zone the little quadrant that you've carved out for yourself then yes absolutely be that way. Anyone who would try to take that away from from Vogue is an idiot, and no one will. But to say that this works universally, I keep going back to what Charrington said the day he was hired in that big glass room at PNC Park when he met with us, and he said, that the number one priority that he'd have as a GM is that all of the development, all of the instruction would be player-centric. It would be specific to the player. It wouldn't be one-size-fits-all. And yet we're watching guys like Diego Castillo, who never seen a pitch he wouldn't like to swing at, watching strike one and strike two go by him. We saw O'Neill Cruz, his first month in the majors, watching just pump, pump, Strike one, strike two, right down the gut. It it got to the point where I'll bet the opposing pitcher had a hard time stifling a laugh. They knew exactly what was going on. And they exposed it again and again and again throughout the season. Yeah, that was tough to watch. It's a good way to put it. I hate it. I hate it. And I'm going to say this probably a lot this offseason. But in addition to getting a new hitting coach, which they are now Officially not going to do, the pirates would immensely benefit from looking ahead to what the sport might be like without the shifts and how much more value will be placed on simply putting the ball in play with more grass available, with the bigger paces. All of a sudden, you're going to see speed jump up as a factor. A player like Jiwan Bay who might look like a little bit of an anomaly in 2021 and 2022, even upon arriving in the majors, he might be something that's a a coveted piece. You know, he might be that guy where you go, wow, this is exactly a 2023 type of player. Why? Puts the ball in play, runs like the wind. Just like baseball used to be in the 70s and the 80s and, and whatever else. Uh, Dan, the best response that I can give you regarding batting average is that batting average might make a comeback. But the reason that it became uh, obsolete, at least inside baseball, is that you know Kyle Schwarber exists. That's, that's probably the best way I can come back at you with that one. Kyle Schwarber has an OPS that's through the roof. Why? Because X percentage of the swings that he takes result in home runs. And home runs are four total bases, and they clear off everybody else who was on them. They just have inherently a lot more value. They're not equal to a two-out single. So between the slugging and the on-base percentage, and in this case, a walk absolutely is worth every bit as much as a single, by using OPS, you come up with an infinitely more telling metric as to how a hitter is performing. And so now you're starting to see people using OPS and just leaving it at that. Yeah, he's an 800 OPS guy or no, we don't want him. He's a 650 OPS guy. But it'll take time, I believe, maybe a long time for people to use it casually and to know what the number is. Look, almost all of us grew up knowing that a 300 batting average means this a 320 means whoa this and 280 means you're kind of okay with that 260 you can live with it if there's some pop you see what i'm saying we just know these things we already know them and to have to learn another set of numbers and what that numbers means that's a turnoff for a lot of people not just older people it's just a turnoff because it's another thing and you thought you had it all down already I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one of these next week. I might even come up with another theme. Who knows?